0: Wow, that's okay. Let's take a vote. Who wants to hear, keep hearing Emily speak? I do. Uh, she's going upstairs where the kids are going to learn the Bible. That's what we're going to do as well. I, my, my wife and I, st- we remember by name the, the Sunday school teachers who invested in our kids' lives. And I'm uh, just so grateful for how they uh, uh, just gave so much to our kids. We're going to talk today about the power of a story. You don't have to live very long to know there's power in a story. We, we just had our second grandchild about four weeks ago, so now we have two, and I can't wait to do with them what I did with our kids when they were little. We have this little stuffed monkey. We call him Minky the Monkey, and uh, I would sit by our kid's bed, and I would make up stories just out of, out of nowhere about the adventures of Minky, and I would weave into those stories God's love for them and Jesus and uh, that was sort of one of our orange moments with, with our own kids. I'm so grateful for what they do in the kids' ministry. And as adults, too, you know the power of a story. Uh, just, just hearing a story it can transport you to another world or it can help you live in this world. Do You know, around the world, uh, there are cultures where there is tremendous illiteracy. They, they can't read, and so the, the stories of Jesus are passed. Uh, by what they hear, onto others, where people could become Christians. There's nothing in print, but they become Christians by what they hear, the power of story. Those of us who, who speak up front, we know something uh, that uh, we, we, we could share just facts and figures with you from the Bible. It, it's called propositional preaching, just sharing stuff. Uh, but that could put you to sleep. And so we know, we know that every now and then we need to sort of weave in a little story to help bring you back and uh, so you uh, don't go to sleep. We're, we're in Acts, uh, the book of Acts, and um, whoops, here we go, somewhere. there. Oh, I'm going to share this with, this is a great quote. I found this, National Public Radio uh, published this article, uh, and here's a quote from a professor. Solid information in any form, facts and charts, et cetera, is good, but that's not necessarily enough. If you look at the time somebody's beliefs have been changed, it's often because of a story that hits them in the heart, the power of a story. And so in the book of Acts, um, we, we've come to a point where now we realize that the author of the book of Acts, Luke, must believe in the power of a story because you get the, you get the story of Paul's turning to faith in, turning of in faith to Jesus in chapter 9. Then you hear that story again in chapter 22, and now we've come to chapter 26, and we get Paul's story all over again. In fact, almost the entire chapter is Paul's story. When I was a young Christian, many years ago now, I was looking for a way to talk about my newfound faith with people who maybe were still afar from God. And somebody said, you know, a great way to talk about your faith You simply tell your own personal story. And then somebody said you need to look at Acts chapter 26 because in that chapter Paul tells his story in such a systematic, logical way it could help you communicate your faith. And sure enough, in chapter 26 we see this pattern of Paul talking what his life was like before Christ, how he came to faith in Christ, and how his life was changed after he believed in Jesus. I think this is something all of us can do. You, can, you might be a veteran Christian, or you might be a newbie. <laughs> but I think there is something you can say in terms of your own personal story. That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we talk about what we believe in terms of our own personal story? Now, let me, give you a, let me make a sidebar comment. There may be some in this room. You might be here for the first, second, or third time, and you're just thinking about God maybe for the first time in a long time, or you're not sure about Jesus, and you're not sure you have a story of faith, and I would say that is okay, and I'm glad you're here and you're investigating God. At the end of the message, there's a particular prayer I would love to share with you that I think, if prayed earnestly and wholeheartedly, will help you take your next good step in your own journey. Now, before we get to chapter 26, I want to give you the setting because that's important. Paul, the Apostle Paul, has been in prison for two years in the seaport city of Caesarea. A guy named Felix, a ruthless guy, put him there for two years, didn't let him out. And then Felix goes away and turns the reins over to a guy named, by the name of Festus. Festus is perplexed. What do I do with Paul sitting in prison he, he, he gives, tells the story to King Agrippa, and King Agrippa says, mm, I'm intrigued. I'd like to hear Paul. And so chapter 26 is Paul telling his story to King Agrippa. Now, just a sidebar comment on King Agrippa. His full name is King Herod Agrippa II. And maybe that sounds familiar to you, his name. He comes from a family line of incredibly dysfunctional and ruthless people who started with Herod the Great, who had tried to destroy the infant Jesus, his son Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee, beheaded John the Baptist, and won from the Lord the title of Fox. His grandson Agrippa I slew James, the son of Zebedee, with the sword. Now we see Paul brought before Agrippa's son, King Herod Agrippa II. And the setting is like in a courtroom, And the end of chapter 25 says, King Herod Agrippa II came in, probably with a flowing robe, followed by Festus, followed by the military leaders, followed by the community leaders. They fill this courtroom with this uh, sort of this vainglorious show. And here's Paul, just Paul. And we don't know what Paul looked like from scripture. But tradition tells us that he was a small, plain man with a hooked nose, bald and bow-legged, with beetle brows. That means a heavy eyebrow. But he was full of grace. He he had no kingly appearance, but there he was before a king and this crowd of important people. It starts like this. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, "'You may speak in your defense.'" Can you imagine the frustration of Paul for two years having been commissioned by Jesus to take the gospel of Christ around the world and he's in prison for two years. But Paul now understands what Peter eventually wrote. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And Paul knew that one of the best ways to give the reason for the hope that you have is just tell your story because there is power in a story. So, Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please listen to me patiently. And so, now with this sense of dignity and this sense of respect, but with confidence and fearlessness, Paul begins. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet... Your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to you, any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. And so what Paul has done to this point is talk about his life before meeting Jesus. And what do we know about Paul? He was super religious, super zealous. He would pursue Christians and he would persecute them. That was Paul. Now, if you're given a chance to tell your story, this is a good place to start, to talk about what your life was like before. Before you talk about what your life, well, how Jesus changed your life, what was your life like beforehand? If you were to ask me, what was your life like before becoming a Christian, Jay, I would say, well, I didn't you know, hunt down Christians and persecute them. In fact, I would probably tell you, I thought I was a Christian because I was in church almost every Sunday. But I couldn't have told you one thing about the Bible or how to have a relationship with God. A couple of weeks ago at our church, we had the visiting hours for our dear friend Todd Enderly, who died suddenly and tragically, still hard to even think that it's true. And as this... I mean, unimaginably long lines, serpentine through the chapel, waiting to pay respects to the Enderley family. I could not help but think and pray for those people that they would have the same experience I had when I was age 19. At age 19, a friend of mine died tragically suddenly, and I went to the funeral home to pay respects to the family. And I walked out of there sobbing. I mean, I was a football player and all of that, and I didn't care. I was with my friends. I didn't care. I just sobbed, and I said over and over, where did he go? Where did he go? I had no clue what happens after death. This is the first time I really gave thought to God. And about this same time in my life, I was intrigued by the sun and the moon and the stars and how this all happened so precisely and the beauty of the mountains and the lake. And and I was drawn to, to the beauty of nature. That's why I studied natural resources in college. And those questions, who made this? And where do you go after you die? These questions converged in a much bigger question that I vocally said, God, if you are real, show me who you are. It was that real and that earnest of a prayer. More on that in a few moments. Now, Paul has his story, I have my story, you have your story. And I wonder what realities were were true for you before becoming a believer in Jesus? Were you in prison physically or, or maybe just emotionally? Were you an angry person? Were you confused? Were you not sure about love? Were you you wondering also, like I was, what happens to a person after they die? The, The list could go on and on because we're all so different. It could be that maybe you became a believer in Jesus at age five or six, in which case you don't have a lot to say about what life was like before you became a believer in Jesus, and that's okay. Because what's important is that we get to the how How did I become aware of Jesus? How did I become a Christ follower? And that's where Paul takes us next. One day, I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests, About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet. For I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart. By faith in me. You know, repetition matters. When somebody repeats something over and over, that means it's important. And so you come to the book of Acts, and you have this very story occurring three times in the book of Acts. That means it's extraordinarily important. And I think when we are explaining our faith in Jesus, it's extraordinarily important that we explain how we became a Christ follower. Isn't it? I don't imagine anyone in this room, although there might be someone, who had a flash of light from heaven or a voice from heaven. If you did, I want to hear your story. <laughs> but it's not, you know, it's not unusual. A few weeks ago, we had missionaries uh, here for the Global Missions Conference. They would tell you what it's like in some parts of the world where Jesus is not, but where God's light is pressing against the darkness. And uh, let's take... Let's take the Islam world, for example, where it is illegal to talk about Jesus, illegal to become a Christian. And God, through visions and dreams, getting people's attention and being led to someone who can tell them about Christ. I just read a book in the last few years called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Ah, It's one of the best books I've ever read, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. I can tell you later if you want to know the name of the book. But this is happening around the world. In the few times I've been to India... Each time I'll hear just an amazing story of somebody who's come out of Hinduism where God miraculously exposed them to, to Jesus through a vision or a dream or in some miraculous way got their attention, and they go and find somebody who can tell them how to become a Christian. That's Paul's story. It's the story of many Muslims. Many Hindus. It, that's not my story. I, I told you, I, I said, God, if you are real, show yourself to me. I said that on the side of a mountain in Glacier National Park. Nothing happened. But three months later, a friend of mine who had just become a Christian, I said, hey, let's, let's go party. He goes, no, I don't want to. I said, what's wrong? He said, no, he said, actually, everything's right. I said, what do you mean? And so we parked down by Lake Erie and he began to share with me how he became a Christian and how I could be one too. I thought I was. He said, God loves you and God wants a relationship with you. He wants to forgive you of your sin and give you the gift of eternal life if you would just believe. Just believe. He didn't know what else to say beyond that. I didn't need to know anything else. It made sense to me. And I believed. And the rest... Is history. Wow. That's the how for me. I would think in this room, many of you could stand up and you could talk about how a mom or a dad or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a co-worker or a neighbor or somebody close to you one day explain to you this is what it means to become a Christian and this is how you can become one also and maybe it was one conversation or maybe it was a number number of conversations or maybe it was just the nudging of your conscience and one day you cried out to god or maybe you were reading the bible and you, that makes sense i want what that says and maybe it happened in a moment or Maybe over a period of time. You know, some people can remember the date and time and location that they surrendered to Jesus and became a follower of Christ. Maybe that's you. Other people, it just happened over a period of time, and you find out that, yes, this is exactly what I believe. At the end of the day, it's not how. The how is going to differ for all of us, but the what. The what is the same for all of us. What do we believe? We believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who came and died for us and rose again and gives us forgiveness by God's amazing grace and the gift of eternal life, and we can be certain of that. That's why we call it the gospel. Again, you might be unsure that you've even received that gift. In a few moments, I'm going to share a prayer with you that can help you along the way. But what Paul does next is gets to the after. What happened after he became a Christ follower? And this is, what, this is what we read. And so King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Enough! At this point, Festus cuts Paul off. We'll get to that in just a moment. But we know enough from here that Paul is a new man. And he has a new master to follow, and he has a new mission in life. And we can read the rest of Paul's writings to understand the tremendous changes that God has made in his life, how he's gone from a mean man to a loving man. And Paul's also honest in his writings about the the shortcomings in his life as well. If someone were to ask me, what changes has God made in your life, jazzing? Oh man, I have to think about this. Let me go back through 40 some years. Let me just explain to you. Year one, that's a long time. But I can tell you this, that the questions that I had, where did he go? What happens after death? I am so certain of that because of the message of Jesus Christ. I am confident of eternal life that comes through Christ alone. And all the beauty around me, I'm confident that God is the one who has created this for all of us to enjoy. And God has given me a meaning and a purpose in life and a joy and a, and a, and a, a, a peace that I can't explain at times. The amount of shortcomings I have in my life is embarrassing. I, I would think I'd be farther along than I am right now. But God has done something in my, my life. And I, I want to ask you how is God? changed your life and how would you answer maybe some of the questions here how has god given you a new purpose in life how has god rearranged your priorities what confidence do you now have that replaces fear what victories do you have over previous struggles what joy and peace has God has flooded your once dry spirit how is certainty of eternal life changed you how you go at life what deep inner need is being met through christ how was your need for friends met through friendship with christ what was it like needing control then letting Jesus lead your life? In what ways do you want God to continue to work in your life? Certainly, you still have shortcomings in your life. You didn't need me to tell you that. But what has God done to bring you along the way? That's the before, the how, and the after. And you know, you may not be able to share everything that you'd like to say in your story, but this week, next week, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, you could explain what you believe simply by telling bits, parts, or all of your story. And when we do that, how does the book of Acts begin? With Jesus' very last words, you will be my witnesses nearby and far away. When we tell our story, we are being his witnesses. Now, we're not at the end of chapter 26, Yet, there are two storytelling principles I think we should pay attention to. And the first one is this. Be ready for ridicule and rejection. Why do I say that? Well, well, I told you Festus interrupted Paul. Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. Has anybody in your life thought you're kind of insane and crazy for believing in Jesus? Somebody you can't even see. You're nuts. Paul says, no, Festus, I am not crazy. I am telling you the truth. And he says to Agrippa, you know the prophets? You believe them, don't you? And Agrippa responds, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? With a spirit of cynicism and sarcasm and suspicion? Don't be surprised when there's rejection and ridicule and suspicion and cynicism, and sarcasm. Jesus got it, and so did Paul. But there's another principle. There's another principle that brings us to the end of chapter 26. It's the no one is beyond God's reach. Why do we say that? Look at this. Paul replied to Agrippa, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone in this room everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am except for these chains. Paul had the ability to not judge a book by its cover. Uh, I'll try to tell this as quickly as as I can. Joe Binkley, who's the the, the, um, chaplain for the Norwalk High School football team, he asked me to speak to the team Thursday night. It's not my fault they're 0-10. I just want to say that. But I, So I spoke to them Thursday evening. I told them the story from my years as the Kent State University football chaplain. Uh, my first year, there was a guy that just, he, I mean, he was scary. I would give talks to the team in the pregame meals, and he would just glare at me, scowl at me. And uh, I just didn't want to be around him. I thought, he doesn't want to know about God. He doesn't want to know about me. He was big and tough, and just stay away. We were on a a trip to a distant university, and we stopped at a, a rest area on the turnpike. And so I went to the back distant aisle to look for some chips or something to munch on. And as I'm standing there looking at the selection, I feel somebody standing next to me. And out of the corner of my eye, I realize it's him. There's so much more I could tell you than this. But I'm thinking to myself, one forearm, and I'm going to get decked. But he begins to speak. And he just shares seven words. <laughs> this is what he said. Think we could talk about God sometime? Are you kidding me? What, excuse me? Think we could talk about God sometime. And we did. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming because I made a predecision that a guy like that would never be interested in God. And I want to ask you, are there family members, coworkers, neighbors who you know You've made a predecision. There's no way they would be interested. Ah, maybe they need to hear your story. Paul had confidence that God could even touch the heart of Agrippa and Festus and everyone in the room. And so he spoke his story, he prayed, and he left the results to God. And that's what we do. So, if you're a Christ follower, Tell your story. There's power in a story. If you're not sure about God, about Jesus, you've never taken a step over that line of faith, that's okay. I want to give you a prayer. I want to give you a prayer to pray. I'm going to put it on the screen. You can take a picture of it. It's also online. But this is how it goes. And if you pray this earnestly, wholeheartedly, I believe God will take a step toward you. God, if you exist, and I don't know if you do, and if you can hear this prayer, and I don't know if you can, I want to tell you that I am an honest seeker after the truth. Show me if Jesus is your son and the savior of the world. And if you bring conviction to my mind, I will trust him as my savior and follow him as my Lord. If you pray that with your heart. I believe God will move toward you. And maybe it'll be through the the witness of a friend or the nudging of your conscience or something you'll see on TV and you'll begin to think, you know, I need a relationship with God and it only comes through faith in Jesus and then you make that decision. And when you make that decision, now you have a story and you have a story worth telling. Speaking of stories, I want to make this little announcement, and that is right after the service, there's a baptism information meeting. For those of you who are sure that you are in Christ, the next step is baptism, if you've not already done that. Jesus set the example. Jesus told told us to be baptized. Baptism is a way to publicly show what we have chosen to believe inwardly, and um on November 20, we're going to have a baptism right here in this room. You don't have to make a speech. You don't, t- sometimes we do the video things. We're not, you don't even have to speak into a camera. All you have to do is to tell your story in written form. You can have Pastor Charles, who will baptize you, read it for you, or you can read it yourself, the before and how and after. That's all there is to it. So this information meeting happens right after this service. Go out in the atrium, go down the hallway on the right-hand side room, C2. Pastor Charles will be there waiting for you, and he'll help you understand. Just bring whatever questions you have, but this is a time to step out in obedience and tell your story, Right? right? Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word And thank you for coming to us. Now, would you give us the, the courage and the confidence, the fearlessness, with respect and dignity, to go to others and give us the opportunity to tell all or a little bit of our story and what you've done in our lives. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Enjoy this beautiful day.